How you doing, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day a true proletarian revolution. I think we're going to drop the hopefully because, you know, as the world continues forward, as history develops every single day. I think more and more we are coming to the realization of something that was said quite a long time ago, first by Rosa Luxemburg and then, you know, sort of revamped in different ways uh, throughout the years by other individuals, but that is socialism or death, Um, socialism or barbarism. is actually the quote, I believe. But there's plenty of others, such as, for example, the Red Nation, who says socialism, decolonization, or extinction. Um, There are folks that talk about the fact that as capitalism kind of progresses forward and is able to develop, we see... (laughs) time and time again that it is simply incapable of providing for the masses. So by that, I mean the majority of people in a given society who are the ones who labor, they are the ones who produce, they are the ones who distribute and sell the goods, also known as commodities, and yet somehow being the main driving force and the main foundation for this economic system, most of us who work for a living, and by that I mean unless we labor, we are incapable of providing ourselves with the means of sustenance. In this situation, How is it that the majority of us cannot afford those means of sustenance? Now, surely, I might be recording this on an iPhone. And I might be recording this while driving in my car to my job. And I might have food beside me and a cup of coffee. But I don't have health care. I also don't have the ability to seek out higher education, something that I am told will solve this problem of, you know, relative poverty in the sense that I can't provide myself with everything I need. I don't have the freedom to live life as the main articles of foundation in this country supposedly guarantee people life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We don't have that shit. We don't have, under a capitalist system, true democracy. Because a capitalist system 
presupposes class society, which as we know is a society wherein one group, one class, is able to control and own the means of production and are able to administrate and assume power by using the state to suppress the working class. The state is a tool or an apparatus by which one class oppresses another. But the state is a philosophical realization which takes different forms as well as different essences. So the main point of what I'm discussing here is the fact that in this economic system there cannot be democracy because prior to any supposed enlightenment or reformation of a liberal quote democratic unquote society it's impossible in a world where for thousands of years history has developed into something which is only pushed forward by the struggle between the ruling and the oppressed classes. Some folks don't agree with that theory. They can go ahead and do the research and learn themselves and, you know, maybe present an, uh, an article or an argument or some form of, you know, critique if they actually want to sit there and say, you know, oh, well, that's bullshit. That's not actually how history goes. No, we actually do have a democracy here, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, no, none of that shit is, like, true. And if you want to go ahead and argue with me, I'd love to have Jan and, and have that discussion. But we have to understand that in the supposed democracy that we have today, there's people who have billions of dollars. And there's also people who own military contracting companies who are the main sources of occupation in countries all over the world. You also have forces who dominate the world market. And so at the end of the day, democracy is only as possible as equality exists. And we do not have equality in a capitalist system which is based on the exploitation and the assumption of surplus value and labor by a ruling class. You can't have democracy in this system. It does not exist. It can't exist. Not because they don't want it or because some assholes are supposedly evil, but because capitalism not only can't provide a equal system and equal distribution of wealth, but it also can't provide a democratic system, a truly democratic one, because then the people themselves who are oppressed and are struggling would have the means by which to correct 
the inequality in society and therefore revoke the wealth and power from the hands of the ruling class. So therefore, the wants or what is better known as the interests of the ruling and working classes are distinctly and directly contradictory. They cannot feed into one another. And that is why the class struggle exists. Because throughout history, the distinction, or what we might know as the antagonism, between the mode of production and the mode of appropriation will eventually lead to a clash or a spark between those who spend their entire life laboring and those who profit from the labor of the entire world. So, we want to talk about then, what is it that oftentimes leads towards a misinterpretation of this reality. You have this ruling class, remember, who is in charge of the state. Now, the state, as we know it, has taken many different forms and has been in control of many different ruling classes throughout society, throughout history, right? The state as it existed to uphold the early slave societies in Greece, in Rome, in plenty of other places, or I should say the Greek and Roman empires, excuse me, That state, the apparatus which was developed in order to protect that ruling class and its interests, as well as continuously perpetuate the mode of production which was slavery into the future, the state apparatus as it formed itself then looked and operated for completely different reasons and different things than the state as it exists today. But what is the state? You know, again, it's an apparatus by which one class oppresses another. But what the fuck does that mean? Because we can get all nice and philosophical But it's important then that we understand concretely and materially what that means. Because otherwise, if we're remaining in the the realm of ideas, if we're simply thinking philosophically, if we're simply thinking of a utopia, right? We are incapable of actually affecting reality. Because ideas and ideas only do not influence material reality. But it is the weaponization and the actual actualization of ideas into the material world 
which allows for that change to be affected. But for example, there's been plenty of fantastic ideas about stopping racism, ending capitalism, building a utopia which can correct the issues of capitalism, right? Or looking back to feudalism, you have great ideas about how liberalism can solve the problems of feudalism, right? But that idea and its actualization in reality is not always, you know, a one-to-one ratio. You can't necessarily take the ideas of John Locke and directly apply them to any place in the world in order to develop what it is that John Locke himself thought would be the proper way to structure society. You can't just simply take the ideas of Lenin and just go, okay, well, I had these ideas, and so, you know, I think what we should do is make those ideas a reality. Well, if nobody gives a fuck about what you have to say... And if you don't have the actual power, wealth, or physical capability of creating that reality, of turning those ideas into the material reality, then it doesn't fucking matter how great your ideas are. It doesn't even matter that you had the thought or your consciousness rose to the level that you could understand those ideas. Because unless you can actualize them, they remain ideas. Ideas do not affect the material reality. Ideas lead to an effect on the material reality. For example, Luna Oi. Great, great YouTuber. Go check her out. She makes a, you know, a real silly point where she says... If I'm holding this water bottle in my right hand, it doesn't matter how much I think and how much I want that water bottle to appear in my left hand. It won't just appear there because I think about it. But if that idea of placing the water bottle into my left hand actualizes itself in me moving my arm so as to place the water bottle in my right hand into my left hand, we see here the actualization of an idea into the material world. The idea and the interest in placing the water bottle in my other hand led directly to an influence and an actualization in the material reality. So the state, right, we can't just see it as an idea. We can't just see it as a philosophical thing. Because although this is the easiest way to understand how and why it is able to reform itself, how and why it looks different in many different historical moments, in many different geographical locations, but it also allows us the ability to understand why it developed. But it does not therein necessarily 
show us how it has materialized or what to do about the issues that a given state apparatus under capitalist society has led to. So first and foremost, there's an introduction to, uh, oh shit, um, fuck, one second here, I gotta remember what the name of the fucking group is, um, there's an introduction to a song, uh, called Police State, fucking, it's right here, excuse me, by, uh, Dead Prez, my apologies, where, there is a speech being given, and I don't actually know who is giving the speech. I tried Googling, like, what he actually says in order to try to find maybe a recording or a text version of the speech, but I was unsuccessful. But there's a speech, and he says, um, uh, how the fuck does he start it? He basically says that There comes a certain point in society where the state develops. And he says, but what is the state? The state is the, is, it is the organized, oh, how does he fucking say it? Now I'm really fucking up. The state is the, the organized bureaucracy. It is the police. It is the military It is the army, the navy, it is the courts and the laws and the education system, it is the government, it is the social and political stratas, right? All of this is the state. And we must understand that the ruling class has control of the state. Therefore, Any misconceptions that we have about capitalism, any misinformation that we constantly repeat about communism, whether we are on the left, the right, or the center, we still hear some of the same ridiculous and historically disproven arguments against really existing socialism, against communist theories, against countries like the Soviet Union, China, etc. That anti-communism stems from a place which is not original. We did not come up with or discover the fact that, quote, you know, communism killed 50 bajillion people, right? We didn't come up with the idea ourselves that Nazism and communism are both supposed totalitarian and fascist ideologies. Because fascism and communism are contradictory. They are inherently different. So you and I, being intelligent people, would not have simply stumbled upon the idea that fascism and communism are the same if we had studied history. But we weren't taught to study history. We were taught to learn history through the mouths and through the books written by our educators, written by our government, written by the popular voices within our media. 
that is how we were taught. That is how we were learned, right? And so in this case, we must understand that we cannot simply believe what we are told about the world that we live in. We have to question every single little piece of our understanding of the world. Rene Descartes talks about the fact that each one of our ideas comes from a place which is not our own. And this is where, to some extent, his idea or his very known phrase of I think, therefore I am, is more profound than we often think it is. Because what he is saying is the only thing, according to him, that he can know consciously and factually, aka empirically, is that he has consciousness. He can think. Therefore, to whatever form that he believed, he exists. Because, again, Descartes, to his core, was an idealist. When we hear things about China, when we hear things about Cuba, from within the belly of the beast, we have to investigate. A great video came out, an interview between Vijay Prashad and uh, Li Jingjing. Uh, that's J-I-N-G-J-I-N-G. The interview goes over multiple different discussions. But one of the most important discussions that it hits on is on imperialism. And especially on imperialist aggression by the Western powers against the, especially the Chinese state. We know there is an incredible amount of misinformation surrounding things like Xinjiang, um, Xinjiang, I believe it's actually pronounced, surrounding things like, you know, the communists' uh party's history throughout China. There's a lot of misinformation about the great people's cultural revolution. There's a lot of misinformation about Mao and about the developments that the Chinese socialist project has been able to achieve. Now, here we must understand that a socialist practicing country within a capitalist global hegemony is almost incapable of truly assuming socialism until it is able to fully place the means of production and the administration of society into the collective hands of the masses. Now, this is incredibly difficult in a country and in a world where when you nationalize your oil refineries or you nationalize your lithium fields, or you, you know, participate in agrarian and land reforms, if you, you know, provide your people with socialized housing or medical care, you run the risk of the Western powers, including the United Nations. You run the risk that they fund, train, and send over militants to assassinate kidnap, 
or assume power from the hands of the heads of the state of those countries. Now, what kind of genocidal, militaristic monstrosity can be allowed to go around murdering and overthrowing the governments of independent and sovereign states and get away with it? Is it China? Is it Cuba? Is it Vietnam? No. Is it Nicaragua? Is it Bolivia or Venezuela? No. It is the United States of America, the world's largest terrorist organization funded by trillions of dollars which go to the world's largest intelligence agencies which recently plotted and were uh, uh, exposed to have planned on either kidnapping or assassinating Julian Assange. Trillions of dollars which go to the largest military force that has ever existed historically, which has over 800 bases across the world, which if you saw the equipment and facilities that existed in Afghanistan that the United States military abandoned, then you must understand that each one of these bases across the world is so militarized that it would be able to wage a land war and win by pure force over the surrounding powers in every single location where there is a base. Because the United States military is 10 times larger than the, uh, uh, the following nine largest militaries in the world. The combined forces of number two through number 10 of the world's largest military forces do not even add up to the United States military forces. And right now we have the largest military budget in U.S. history under the Biden Democrat administration. So this should tell you that capitalism creates a system just like feudalism, just like slave systems, wherein there is a ruling class and a working class. There is not a ruling class separated into industrial capitalists and slave capitalists. There is not a ruling class separated into Democrats and Republicans, but there is a ruling class which, like everything else, has inherent contradictions between, for example, finance, capital, and militarization, and therefore eventually will lead towards clashes and sparks between the different powers and different hands who hold the means of production and the power of the ruling class. But this does not mean then that the Democrats are better than the Republicans or vice versa, because at the end of the day, they both support one society, and that society is one where we, you and me, are powerless, where the world uh, labor force in the global south is oppressed and exploited, brutalized, murdered, made hungry, made to go without health care, watching as their governments are continuously overthrown by coup d'etats, military juntas, as their leaders and social, political uh, um, activists, organizers, 
uh, especially indigenous folks like in Brazil, watching as those folks continuously be assassinated by the rest of the imperialist powers of the world. We have to understand here that this is not, uh, you know, a failure of socialism as it is often, you know, pushed off as, but it is a direct result of the continuous onslaught on socialism by capitalism. So there's this great video, right, by BJ Prashad, Li Jingjiang, where they talk about the fact that it is so ridiculous that the United States of America continuously calls out against human rights abuses by China and other socialist practicing states. Well, just in the last 20 years, they murdered more than 1 million Afghani individ- or Afghan individuals. They murdered more than 1 million people in Afghanistan in 20 years. Also, that's not talking about chattel slavery. That's not talking about Japanese internment. That's not talking about Chinese exclusion. That's not talking about the abuse of uh, supposedly, quote, illegal immigrants who are the main labor force of the agricultural community and in a lot of cases, most of the other industries in this country have at their base a foundation of supposedly, quote, illegal labor, whether that's through the employment of individuals who emigrate into this country by means that the state does not agree with, or if it is the illegal and brutal repression and exploitation of the world's labor force in sweatshops, in mines, and in all kinds of other abusive work conditions. Um, It's ridiculous that this United States of America can go around and say shit like, oh, we're in the South China Sea because we're combating aggression by Chinese militarization. Okay, since World War II, the United States has maintained what we have coined a military-industrial complex. And in doing so, they have dedicated more than 40% of our annual budget every single year since the beginning of World War II towards militarization. Less than 70 years ago, less than 80 years ago, when the United States started dedicating millions and then billions of dollars to militarization, China dedicated that amount of money to land reform, to raising the people's literacy rates and education availability, towards providing health care and shelter, as well as uh, raising the people out of poverty. And now, in a world that is so dominated by the finance capital and militaries of the Western powers... China and other countries are having to build up their military forces, produce nuclear arsenals, simply to be able to defend themselves against invasion, against bombings, against nuclear warfare. 
And what do they say then? Oh, China is being aggressive. In the... Now, let's listen closely here to the operative word. The South China Sea. You have the St. Elizabeth, which is the the largest aircraft carrier in the British fleet sitting in the South China Sea. You have the United States Air Force and Marines continuously doing illegal flyovers in Chinese airspace. You have nuclear proliferation, which is against UN charter, against international law between countries like the United States, the UK, and Australia. Because let's remember here, as Vijay Prashad points out in this video, the United States already has military pacts with the UK and Australia. They already have trade deals with the UK and Australia. But since Britain left Europe, they've been looking for some way to partner up with the world's largest military. And Australia had a deal with France where they were going to get submarines, but then they completely broke away from that deal so as to get what the United States is calling quote unquote nuclear powered submarines, not nuclear armed submarines. But let us remember that who is going to tell the difference? Because the United Nations is continuously denied the right to investigate things like the human rights abuses by France in what is called the French Pacific uh, Islands. The, or Polynesian, excuse me, French Polynesia. The continued 20 to 30 years of nuclear arms testing, which has led towards all kinds of physical and, and uh, 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 um, agro- agricultural um, issues in French Polynesia and of the Polynesian people. That doesn't matter because the UN isn't allowed to go and investigate that because countries like the United States and France don't sign off on it. So who's going to go down to Australia and make sure that those submarines don't have fucking nukes on them that are sitting outside of the South China Sea, but in fact are simply powered by nuclear-grade uranium? Who's going to go check that? And who's going to take the United States, the UK, and Australia to court when the United States does not go to The Hague? The United States does not sign international charters. The UK and Britain have continuously evaded centuries. Remember, the British Empire before the United States Empire was the colonial power of the world. Britain, France, and other European powers have avoided centuries of accountability. Who's going to go make them be accountable now? So when you have things like this and you have the United States and other Western powers saying China is aggressive, China is committing human rights abuses, you know what they're doing? Building up another Cold War. It's right there in front of us. 
Because just like before the First World War, just like before the Second World War, the capitalist powers are coming into contradiction with one another. They are no longer able to equally and uh, justly distribute the world's plunder and pillaging between one another. They are no longer able to simply carve up Africa into what each one of them wants because now Africa is fighting for self-determination. Now Africa is developing. Now Africa is taking loans from China rather than the United States, the World Bank, or the IMF, right? And they are doing so because like when recently the mines which China's capital had gone towards funding were accused of human rights abuses and of workers abuses what does china do they pull out all of their funding because they will not allow that to continue now you might say oh 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 well that's still social imperialism cool guess who's committing workers rights abuses all over the world the united states what are we going to do about that because guess what you and i don't have the real-life ability to affect anything that China's doing. Welcome to the real world. You know what we do have the ability to do? Overthrow the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie here in the United States. We do have the theoretical hmm, CIA agent and the material ability given the militant and disciplined organization of the proletariat of the working and oppressed people here in the United States. We are able to fight imperialism from within the belly of the beast. We are not able to fight supposed social imperialism in places like uh, Afghanistan, in places like um, Africa, by China and other really existing socialist countries. Because we are here in the United States. If you want to have discussions in your party or among your, you know, your circles about, you know, the practicality and the realization of socialism with Chinese characteristics, that fi- that's fine. But every time you make an episode shitting on China or talking about uh, Xinjiang or puppeting and, uh, uh, repeating the imperialist lies that have been fed to you for generations, then all you are doing is dogpiling with the imperialists on top of the Chinese people because that is how it affects the real world. It's not just an idea that, okay, we disagree with, you know, Chinese communism and the Communist Party of China and therefore we're going to sit here and critique them and, and that's that. No, the idea will material materialize and will lead towards more and more propaganda against China, a country which is leading the fight Uh, against global climate change and and planetary destruction, which is trying to implement a version of uh, uh, industrialization and development in oppressed and third world nations, which doesn't trap them in debt or force them to capitulate to China. Is there a lot of shit that we can say we don't like about how China's doing that? Sure. Can we fucking do anything about it? Probably not. So this episode is all about recognizing the material world and trying to figure out how to 
solve the issues we're facing today. We talked about the fact that the ruling class has control of the state, and the only thing that can change that is the working class being in control of the state. Because the state doesn't just disappear because we don't want it to be there. Because the people are in control, whether we ignore it or not. So then we can't say that once we have a revolution that the state will cease to exist, because most of those powers will still be in control for years to come until the working and organized masses are able to systematically erase the antagonisms and inequality and the uh, unequal distribution of wealth and power across the ruling class of the world. So, if you are still listening, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Please go check out my website at forliberation.wixsite.com forward slash website. Go ahead and follow me on my social media. And if you would like, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let me know what you think about the show. You can reach out to me by email at indefensiveliberation at gmail.com. No caps, no spaces in either that nor my website URL. Um, I want to say thank you very much for listening. It means a lot. I hope everybody is safe and healthy during these awful times, remaining sane as possible, and able to connect with loved ones and a support system um, as frequently as necessary. And if not, please feel free to reach out to me for whatever reason. Um, Stay revolutionary, folks, and we'll see you next time. Bye.